You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us now open Holy Scripture, the Word of Christ. This afternoon, we will be considering the Word of Christ in Mark 9, the verses 38 through 41. Now we will read a related passage in the Old Testament, Numbers 11. And after that, we'll turn to Mark 9 and read the preceding context of our text, verses 14 through 37 of Mark 9. Here in Numbers 11, we read the Word of God, which our Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. This was, of course, when the Israelites were in the desert, traveling from Egypt to the land of promise. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taborah, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now, if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not carry it all alone. Tell the people, Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you willed, if only we had, eaten, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days, 
or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before Him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among six hundred thousand men on foot, and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together seventy of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the Spirit that was on him and put the Spirit on the seventy elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said to and said to Moses, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten omers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and He struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hatava, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. Now we turn to Mark chapter 9, and we read the verses 14 through 37. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit which has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. 
he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Our text for this afternoon is verses 38 and following. Mark 9. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, One of the classic features of family life is the summer road trip to some distant destination. Almost inevitably, these trips are accompanied by the odd, little, or big, sometimes, argument. Before the journey, one of the children is adamant. That's his turn to sit in the front seat. Along the way, 
Another complains that her sibling's elbow is a quarter of an inch too far into her personal space. How dare he? Usually on such excursions, the wise thing to do is to keep everyone busy somehow. Now, if these kinds of quarrels only happen during family road trips in the summertime among kids, well, that would be one thing. The sobering reality is, however, that often they also arise in the church, among Christians. Even the twelve apostles ended up quarreling with one another. The twelve apostles whom Christ made the leaders of the early church, even they ended up quarreling with one another as they were traveling with Jesus on the way. We're told in chapter 9, verse 34, that on the way, by the way, the way theme is very prominent in the Gospel according to Mark. If you read through the Gospel according to, to Mark, you'll, you'll see how Mark develops that theme of Jesus being on the way, going from one place to the next. And there's a lot of movement, a lot of movement forward to the cross. In any case, we're told in chapter 9, verse 34, that on the way, the disciples had gotten into a little argument among them about who was the greatest. They all wanted to be in the front seat, so to speak. And they weren't only like this among themselves. They were also like this toward others. The twelve apostles could quarrel like this. Surely we are inclined to do the same. If we are truly honest with ourselves, we certainly are, aren't we? And then we have this inclination not only to quarrel like this among ourselves, but also to look towards others in the same competitive way, towards those who are not one of us. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus wants to show us in our text the more excellent way. And that is, when judging other followers whom we meet along the way, we should be sober about ourselves, we should be focused on Christ and charitable towards the least. In our text, Mark tells us that the Apostle John spoke up to make Jesus aware of something that had happened somewhere along the way. What we read in verse 38, Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Notice that John speaks on behalf of the other disciples. Perhaps they had all agreed to, to let Jesus know about this man who was driving out demons in his name. And John had been appointed to tell him. What bothered the disciples about this incident? What was it? Well, they didn't like it. That this man was driving out demons in Jesus' name. But notice the reason they didn't like it. 
So we might think, well, he wasn't with them, so he shouldn't have been driving out demons in Jesus' name. We might say, well, the disciples probably had a point. But then notice, brothers and sisters, notice the reason they didn't like it. They had told him to stop, John said, because he was not one of us. The end of verse 38. Now, although that is not clear in the NIV, the word follow is actually there in the original Greek. Literally what the disciples said then, we told him to stop because he was not following us. Not sure why the NIV has left that out. But that's what it says in the original. We told him to stop because he was not following us. Perhaps they wanted Jesus to believe that they were concerned about how His name was being used. But their words gave them away. What really, really bothered the disciples was that this man wasn't following them. That fits into this picture, doesn't it? Mark tells us that the disciples had just been quarreling about Who was the greatest? That was their mindset at this point. They're in a competitive frame of mind. Jealous, envious frame of mind. The disciples were obviously very concerned at that point about their own position in God's kingdom. They had all wanted to be first. They had all wanted the front seat. And the same happens here in this incident in our text. What bothered them was that they they felt threatened by this man. They didn't like it that he was doing something that in their opinion, only they had the authority to do. Something else had just happened that set the disciples off when they saw this man casting out demons. Remember what we read earlier in chapter 9 that they had been unable to heal a boy with an unclean spirit. They, the disciples of Jesus, hadn't been able to cast it out. But this man here, who wasn't following Jesus with them, he was casting out a demon. When the disciples were unable to cast out that demon, then Jesus admonished them. He called them an unbelieving generation like we read. It was because of their lack of faith that they had been unable to cast it out. This man was able to do what they had been unable to do. And for Jesus, this functioned as a silent yet stinging rebuke to the disciples. It was as if the twelve were beginning to think that Jesus needed them and that only those who followed them were allowed to do what they had the authority to do. Sometimes we are tempted, aren't we, brothers and sisters, to be critical of what others are doing in the name of Jesus Christ. 
But then we need to be so careful. Then we should be careful that we don't either publicly or, or in our own hearts secretly chastise them. Since after all, that's only something that we have the right to do. Because we are true and faithful followers of Christ. In such situations, we need to be sober about ourselves. Perhaps our reaction in such situations reveals our own insecurity. Perhaps it reveals guilt that we haven't been successful doing what others are doing with success. Often others are feeling a need that we have neglected or are perhaps unable to fill. We know next to nothing about this man except that apparently he was successfully casting out demons in Jesus' name. That's all, we're t- that's all that Mark tells us. And this indicates that he was a follower of Jesus. He believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was determined to serve his Master by driving out demons. How exactly that all worked, we don't know. Mark doesn't tell us. But he does tell us that he was driving out demons in Jesus' name. He was obviously, this individual was obviously different from the, the seven sons of Sceva. Remember the seven sons of Sceva whom we read about in, in Acts 19 who were unable to cast out demons in Jesus' name. Why weren't they able to cast out demons in Jesus' name? Because they didn't have faith in Jesus. But this man did. And that's why he was able to cast them out. Something similar had happened in the Old Testament as we read in Numbers 11. The Lord had poured out His Spirit on 70 of the elders so that they were able to prophesy. For some reason, two of these elders had not gone to the tent of meeting where the rest of them were, but were prophesying out in the camp among the people. Now Joshua didn't think this was a good thing. So he told Moses, stop them. Then notice what Moses did. Yes, Joshua was his aide. Joshua was important. Joshua, in fact, would become the, the, the leader after Moses' death. But notice what Moses said to Joshua. He said, Are you jealous for my sake? Speaking on behalf of the Lord. I wish that that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Joshua protested because he was jealous of Eldad and Medad. He was concerned not because what they were doing was wrong, 
but because he felt threatened in his own position as aid to Moses. So when judging the actions of other followers of Christ, yes, even as office bearers, we need to be sober about ourselves. When others do not do things precisely the way that we would, that shouldn't make us think that we are in a position to condemn, to judge them. Please don't misunderstand me, brothers and sisters. This doesn't mean that we should just have an undiscerning, anything-goes kind of attitude. Not at all. For notice that Jesus doesn't say in our text that He approved of this man's actions or of how He went about them. But He also told John that it wasn't His business to go and stop Him. John, it's none of your business. Perhaps this man should have been following Jesus. Perhaps this man should have been with the twelve, traveling with Jesus and the twelve from place to place. But even if this man was going about things in the wrong way and defectively, that didn't give John the right to prohibit him. Notice in our text that Jesus was less disturbed about this man's defective actions than he was about John's attitude and that of the other disciples, which was motivated by a selfish interest to defend their own positions. But Christ expects His followers not only to be sober about themselves, He also wants His followers to be focused on Him. Christ says to His disciples in the verses 39 and 40, Do not stop Him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in My name can in the next moment say anything bad about Me, for whoever is not against us is for us. The Lord, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, the Lord, that is Jesus, knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are His. And we should be more concerned about His name, Christ's name, and His reputation than our own advancement and our own success in comparison with others. Lord Jesus was in full control of the situation. Remember where Jesus was headed. Jesus Himself had told the disciples not long before this incident in chapter 9, verse 31. Where was Jesus headed? He was on the way to the cross. There, the Lord Jesus was going to be betrayed. There, on the, in His suffering leading up to His crucifixion, Jesus was going to be mocked. He was going to be cursed by wicked men. 
People would rise up and they would say all kinds of bad and evil things about Him. They would spread false lies about Him. Jesus was on His way to the cross. And there, in His suffering on the cross, His name would be dragged through the mud in the most awful way. You see, the Lord Jesus saw what was happening here in perspective. Why would He and why would His disciples waste time stopping someone from doing good things in His name when soon His name would be slandered and blasphemed and mocked? The Apostle Paul didn't let himself be distracted or derailed either by those who were claiming to preach in Jesus' name but did not have the authority that he had. Did the Apostle Paul waste time running after all those so-called false teachers and prohibiting them, standing in their way, did he, did he go about giving all these teachers bad press? Even when their impure motives were plain? No. Listen to what he writes in Philippians 1, verses 15 and following. It is true, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Then, look what he says. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. When is it, brothers and sisters? When is it? If we truly consider our hearts, when is it that we catch ourselves making rash and uncalled for judgments upon others? Doesn't that happen when we're no longer focusing on Christ? Doesn't that happen when, when the most important thing is no longer in our minds that Christ is preached? That Christ is believed? That Christ is glorified? Yes, it's when we're more concerned about who is following us. than about whether we're following Him. It's when we're concerned more about who's following us than about whether we're following Him. Christ doesn't tell people 
to follow us. Christ says to all, follow me. Following Jesus isn't about being the greatest. Following Jesus isn't about being the most influential. Following Christ is about being willing to suffer and eager to serve. Following Christ is is about knowing each one of us, knowing and feeling, as Paul did, that we ourselves are the least of the saints, the chief of sinners. If we have this attitude, which comes from, from Christ, then we will also be charitable towards the least. For Jesus says, in verse 41, I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in My name because you belong to Christ, because you belong to Me, will certainly not lose His reward. Notice that here again, Jesus focuses His his disciples entirely upon Himself. He wants them to be thankful when the person giving the cup of water acknowledges that they belong to Him. The point that Jesus wants to make here is that while it may be easy for us to find something defective or imperfect about those around us, whether there are brothers and sisters in the church or others around us, while it may be easy to criticize others and to poke holes in what they're doing, Christ will reward even the simplest deed done if it is done for His sake. It's all about Christ. Those who may be little in the eyes of the world, yes, even those who may be little in our eyes, sometimes are high in Christ's eyes when they do the smallest thing for Him. Though we may not like their style, though we may see some defect in their manner, let us always be favorable to the least among Christ's disciples. For the last will be first, and the first will be last. Brothers and sisters, we're on a journey. We're on the way. Our destination is heaven. But the way there is the way of humility, being the least, honoring the least, and following only Christ who's leading the way. Let's not waste our time quarreling, pointing the finger. Let's not waste our time trying to get the best seat. 
There's way too much to do on the way for that. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.